0: What's up everyone? I wanted to invite you to watch this side project I've been working on. It's a workplace comedy filmed entirely on Zoom. See if that's a horrible idea or not. I have a lot of talented writers, comics, actors, editors. A lot of people put a lot of work into this so please check it out. It's selling in. Find it on Facebook, video, and YouTube.
1: So, in the Backseat Boys shoot interview, Trent Acid mentions that one day he happened to fuck a lady friend of his in the CZW school ring.
2: So, Jake, I gotta
1: ask have you ever had sex in the wrestling ring?
2: I have discussed it. <laughs> I almost happened, but a bed seemed like a better fucking option. <laughs>
0: All the very dangerous
2: springboard finishers you could do. Oh, God.
1: AJ Styles would nail the fuck out of (laughs) him.
2: But here's the thing. What you have to think about is, especially a canvas that's out in a wrestling school, is just a tree of fucking disease climbing. Like, (laughs) having sex in a park in New Jersey without even putting a blanket down... would get you less contaminants than inside of a housed wrestling school on top of a canvas. Like one thing if it was an actual show ring, that'd be a different story. Like if it were like a wrestling show, <laughs> so a wrestling school ring canvas sounds horrible. Um an actual show ring, eh, you could probably get away with it. Um the thought has crossed my mind. But at the same time too what you have to keep in mind is there was a short period of time where I lived in the highspots.com office where i slept was actually inside the wrestling ring Oh wow! so the only reason i finally broke down and got a house well i mean i was looking for a house but i, I there's a moment in time I'm like well maybe i can just keep being homeless this ain't bad and, and save the money. thing the, the thing that was the tipping point where like man you really need to get your shit together
0: was your tipping point when you were trying to talk a girl into having sex in a wrestling ring
2: Yep, I was just like, how am I going to get women if I don't have a fucking house to bring them to? And then years later, I regretted that decision. I'm like, oh, this, was, this is not a good idea. See, I should have done what I, I'm doing now where I have a post-it note hanging up a mirror that says love is not for you, just to remind myself, <laughs> don't get involved in a relationship.
0: All right, well, this is probably the most perfect lead-in for who we're talking about today. Uh- yeah. Welcome to 10 Bell Pod, a wrestling podcast about wrestlers who are now booked in the outlaw mud show in the sky. I am Nick. Can I say Nick Alexander again? Since stand up comedy is dead and is never coming back. I'm going to take my name
2: back. I've always put Nick Alexander, especially in the tags for the YouTube for the sole reason that my hope is that I will have created more tags for Nicholas Alexander attached to something that you've done so that way we're like oh there's this comedian in Michigan that like <laughs> he, he he went on like five festivals I can't call myself <laughs> Nick Alexander anymore and then there's this other guy Nick Alexander who's in Scottsdale Arizona that's done like eight open mics I can't call myself Nick Alexander so that way the day when you do a Google search on Nick Alexander it all leads back to 10 Bell Pod you Two videos that you're like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm now the forefront of Nick Alexander's in the world.
0: Well, well I appreciate you doing that for me. I genuinely do. Oh, I
2: wasn't doing it for you. I was doing it for me. I was doing it for me. <laughs> just like, sure. I'm just to, don't get that confused.
0: Alright, uh, my my second fellow podcast tour, Micah J. Loving. Say hi, Micah.
1: Hello, everybody. I hope everybody's doing good in the Armageddon that we're living in. I've alternated between Wishing for my just head to explode, but then also working out for the best I have and probably ever. I've been working out two times a day, doing a little jog to start, and then working out later as hell comes all around me. And then falling asleep every night to Ken Burns baseball. So it's been been a weird (laughs) recent uh, couple weeks.
0: Of course, our third man is Mr. A, B, C, A, always B, B, C, camping, always
1: B, camping, Jake Batty.
2: Cool, that was an aggressive intro. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I know it was behind that with all that ACABB stuff.
2: Well, and I, I, I yeah, I, and I heard a- ACB, uh ABC and I was just thinking like, oh shit, is he gonna do a Michael Jackson Jackson 5 reference <laughs> oh, no. that I don't know about?
0: Uh it was Alec Baldwin, who was also mean to a lot of small children, or is just his daughter, whatever. Alright, so uh just uh just research wise It was kind of weird to do this episode after Owen Hart, right? Like, we were watching Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania. And then like a week later, I'm watching shaky fucking VHS handheld recording CZW footage with like a shinedown song dubbed over it. It was just weird, right?
1: I mean, a little bit because it's like, oh, we got this good elaborate story about brother versus brother, loyalty, disrespect, all that. And then we get to CZW and it's like, which white guy is the angriest? (laughs)
2: Sandig, Sandig is the answer (laughs) because he's the boss. He's the guy who sings the entrance song too. (laughs) in <laughs> And
1: this is with pictures of like table spots and uh montages featuring Mussolini and Hitler. So that's uh <laughs>
0: That is no way a knock on the man we're covering today, because he—he nah. he, at points in his career, he was arguably the best indie wrestler in the country. He was, of course, tough as hell, hardcore with the best of them. Today, we're talking about
1: Mr. Trent Acid. And I feel like we got to chime in like he deserves, from South Philly, Japan, and weighing <laughs> in at nine and a half inches, Trent Acid.
2: Yeah, and he was, like, one of the big bright spots of CZW. Like, you could just be like, oh, CZW is kind of this and, you know, whatever. and Roll your eyes at it. But, like, he was always, like, a big bright spot. Like, when he came out, like, oh, the whole show has changed. And you could see that whenever he would come out. You'd see that whenever you're watching. Like, your mood would change when he would come out. He was always one of the biggest bright spots.
1: And Nick had a note in uh, our outline that said an elevator pitch on Trent, and I wrote this at 5 a.m. So this is 5 a.m. brain. Trent asked it "It is like if Rick Rude picked up a steel chair, started doing CTE quality high spots, and got retrained by Shawn Michaels. I don't know if that really works, but I think it's kind of close.
2: (laughs) No, you nailed it. You just forgot the silver pants. Yeah, you're right. Silver (laughs) Hardy pants. (laughs) The the South Philly version of the Hardy Boys. Yeah, there you go. There you go.
0: All right. Uh, Michael Verdi was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, November twelfth, nineteen eighty.
1: And this is one of the best. Uh, same on this day trivia I've done yet. Um, I got two on this one. On this day, uh, New York City Mayor at the time Ed Koch admitted to trying marijuana. How am I doing? Oh no! Doing? <laughs> and Ryan Gosling was born on the same damn day as Trent Acid. Oh shit! With- which one's better looking? I don't fucking know.
2: That's a question. Who's got the better abs between Trent acid? Oh, God.
1: That well, I'll tough. tell you what.
2: Trent Acid got his abs before Ryan Gosling did. I know that much. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. I think Ryan Gosling was still doing goosebumps or some shit.
0: So, uh, Asin started wrestling at the age of 14. And there's some tape floating around. And he wasn't like a big athletic 14-year-old that looks 18. The motherfucker looked 12.
2: Like, it yeah, is insane. He, he,
1: If he looked double digit age, it was generous.
2: Well, actually, 10 years ago or so, or maybe eight or something, like almost a decade ago, I did an interview with the Briscoe brothers. Yeah, Yeah, cool. They, he, they were talking about how I think they used to go to the ECW arena to watch shows. And much like when my dad would take me to a high school football game, you'd always find a kid there and you'd play with this new kid that you just never met before. And it might be a kid from a <laughs> different town. Yeah. And then you're just, you're just palling around. Cause it's like, it's another kid. Hey, I've met you. Let's be friends. And I guess I was kind of the way it was with the Briscoe brothers and Trent acid. They'd both be like Aww. arena shows and they'd be like jumping off the bleachers onto each other, <laughs> pretending they were a new Jack. So like it, it's just this weird cross section that the Briscoe brothers and Trent acid, like they knew each other before they got into wrestling. They were just young punk kids paying attention to Northeast wrestling. But, it was kind of like me as a kid going to high school football games with my dad and meeting these random kids in different towns and becoming friends with them. So it's, it's kind of funny how that all worked out, but yeah, he just, his professional debut, may be 14, but he was he was definitely jumping off the bleachers when he was probably eight or 10. Huh? Got any Mr. Fuji ribs? <laughs> uh, no, Rob, I do not. Do you, <laughs> do you have any more unauthenticated autographs that you want to sell? Rob, oh, wow. Perhaps, Wow. All right. all right.
0: Uh, so uh, a lot of Trent's early stuff. Is... He nailed that
1: immediately, Nick.
0: Yeah, I know. Deals. Jesus. I had like eight more of those. Now I can't even do them. Uh, you gotta but, still I'm going to put a pump. hammer
2: through that wall. <laughs>
0: Trent's debut match was against his childhood friend, Billy Ryle. I think is how you say it for Tri-County Wrestling on May 19th, 1995. And he, of course, did it with no proper wrestling training. But he would eventually be given the name Trent Acid by a wrestling manager, Madonna Wayne Gacy.
1: (laughs) Uh, Man, that's just, I mean, Madonna Wayne Gacy, that's, that's, uh, you gotta give it up to how good that name is.
0: A lot of Trent's early stuff is either not documented or easily searchable as it is fucking illegal because he was a child. But you can find match listings as early as February 10th, 1996, where Trent beat the Kamikaze Ninja in Philly for <laughs> Tri-County Wrestling. And there's also a couple of dates in 97 where he's working in a slightly bigger promotion, Jersey All-Pro. He'd even go on to win Jersey All Pros Tag Team Championship January 99 as a member of D sex with uh, Billy R- <laughs> Real. They beat uh, Homicide and Kane D in a match that ended with little baby Trent going to the hospital after getting hit with a fucking VCR.
1: Yeah, physical media never dies.
2: <laughs> well, actually, one of the fucking most gruesome things that ever happened to Necro Butcher is I think he was wrestling Toby Klein, may have been J.C. Bailey, but it was definitely Ida Wim itself. and Necro Butcher was on the outside, and the other, and his opponent was in the ring, and from the ring down to the floor, the, this guy just chucked a VCR at <laughs> Necro Butcher's head, and it's the most gruesome thing I've ever seen before. It's so gruesome that I believe Matt, Matt Burns, which was the guy that was the ringside camera guy for Smart Mark Video, you can see him, like, just, like, his feet are moving around, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, but still trying to hold the shot. Like, he's trying to hold it together, but he's freaking out about it. And this is after he has recorded several years of and Mid South death matches, but somehow this VCR being chucked at Necrobutcher's head is one of the craziest things he's ever witnessed.
1: I want to say it's the Toby Klein, because I remember when I was super hardcore watching stuff, there was a Necro uh, Butcher-Toby Klein match that was in just kind of a high school gym, and they did that type of shit where you knew it was like, this is six years off their life. Like, this is the end. (laughs)
2: Yeah, don't fuck with VCRs, man. Don't fuck with them.
1: Trent said he had to get 27 staples in his head from that VCR.
0: So around this point, Trent loosely trained at the Pitbulls School until it closed, with the Pitbulls being former ECW Tag Team Champions Anthony Dernette and Gary Wolf. And it was there Trent met John Kastner, aka future tag team partner, Johnny Cashmere. When the Pitbulls School closed, the students obviously needed a new place to go work out, and that is how Trent would end up at Combat Zone Wrestling's school in New Jersey. In 99, Trent would legally break into the business working against White locusts at CZW down in flames, which it is currently going down in because of uh, some stuff right Jake? Yes,
2: absolutely right now. And, and are you sure it's not White Lotus <laughs> instead of Locust? I believe it's Lotus, if I'm mistaken. My bad. Listen, yeah, it, don't. It is Lotus. Did you say Locust? Don't, I'm not even paying don't attention. Don't challenge me on early CZW, my friend. This is the this is wheelhouse. I. I would say guilty pleasure, but I don't want to associate like, oh, this shit's dumb. Like, that is not the connotation. I love early CZW, especially like that first year or two when it's basically like you got some guys that were basically kind of like backyarders and then guys that are kind of trained just enough and then you got these guys that have been around the indies for a while like this weird algorithm <laughs> of Glenn Osborne and Reckless Youth and Zandig yeah, and Lobo and Trent and, and Johnny Cashmere and just this weird amalgamation of just things coming together for the first time it's, it's beautiful and wonderful and then you throw in like the Haas Brothers and just just weird stuff happening all the time and not and just trying to figure out the identity but just the idea of a small time well, small time but like a kind of underground indie much the much way that you see like a black label pro or a gcw or uh freelance like the, the, these these indie shows that are like we want to come off as like this underground indie as opposed to like portray ourselves to be just as big as wwe or oh let's get a tv deal it's like no we're gonna do this in the back of a roller rink and somebody might die It's just that that <laughs> vibe th- that i think is replicated a lot more today like people always want to have that that underground like feel to it just like it just they were like at the forefront of that doing it and it also too something that was discussed in the briscoe brothers that i just mentioned earlier they talk about this fascinating thing that happened in you know the northeast wrestling community, where once ECW closed, because ECW was known they had some of the best wrestlers. They had the they had the Jerry Lynn's, the Eddie Guerrero's, Rob Van Dam, Dean Malenko's, these incredible, amazing wrestlers. And then they also had guys like New Jack, Vic Grimes, Sandman, Raven doing hardcore stuff. And it seems like once ECW closed you had Ring of Honor pop up, you had CZW pop up. And then when they try and find what their identity was, it almost kind of split where Ring of Honor wanted to be more like the Jerry Lynn's, the Rob Van Dams, and the Eddie Guerrero's and Dimalinko's where CZW is like, well, we want to fill that niche that, Axel and Ian Rotten, Balls Mahoney, that that hardcore itch, and they kind of went in separate directions. But like very early CZW, they're ch- still trying to incorporate some of those better wrestling things. Like I said, using someone like a Reckless Youth, you know, and the, and the itch probably the interest even in Trent himself and the way they featured him and Rick Blade, and and even an early low key that thought process like well we have wrestlers too and trying to follow that ecw template but later as we'll see they kind of split away from that and like we're more blood and guts and ring of honor had a little blood and guts in the beginning which a lot of people forget and then they split off like no we're we're solely technical huh got any rat stories <sighs> no but i got uh
1: oh wait sorry the phone's ringing
2: no i'm not i'm not gonna dignify that with are response. Because, because uh, I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm I'm sorry, King of the Shoots. You just follow the list after I tell this wonderful and beautiful story uh, and educate people on something. You just come back with, huh? Tell me about the rib stories.
1: Sorry, somebody's at the door. Somebody's
2: at the door. Take yeah, a bit. yeah I, I, the I educate people on a particular story and then just move on to the next question as if I said absolutely fucking nothing. <laughs> Thank you, King of the Shoots.
0: <laughs> All right, um, so as uh, as far as CZW matches go, Trent's first one here, kind of just a wrestling match. He loses in a uh, Swerve Bro situation where a run-in comes in, he attacks White Lotus, and then he's like on the apron celebrating, but Lotus bounces back, gets the win. It's a whole thing.
1: Uh, and to give you an idea what um, Acid's looks right now, a lot of crowd members are screaming at him. You're not Kidman! So he's looking like uh, Kidman a whole bunch. And I gotta give a lot of respect to White Lotus and this whole ZZW atmosphere that Jake described. He comes out to November rain by Guns N' Roses.
0: I was fast-forwarding through this pay-per-view on the High Spots Network, who do not sponsor us, and I stopped exactly at a spot where someone in the crowd screams, WCW sucks! And I was like... (laughs) What? I was like, these motherfuckers have aluminum foil as their pipe and drape right now. And they're still like, at least we're not
1: 1999 WCW, man.
2: Like, they
1: don't even have a hard cam. They don't get a hard cam till the
2: first cage of day. Yeah, they have, they have bought a shitload of trash bags and then cut them open and then tarped yeah. up a backdrop. <laughs> hey,
1: love it. I mean, you know, they're making it work. Yep. So God bless them.
0: So uh, Trent would dive headfirst into the company. He'd start taking on guys like Wife Beater, Reckless Youth, and forming the the tag team that September called the Backseat Boys with his training buddy, Johnny Cashmere, with the Backseat Boys obviously being at a slight playoff. The boy band crazed of the late 90s uh, was apparently a brain baby of pro wrestling manager Donnie B.
1: And I need to give a shout out that took me a while to get this after watching a couple of Trent Acid matches. But Trent would do a thing where he'd slam a dude, run into the corner, pull his pants down, exposing (laughs) his butt, making all the girls scream and go wild. And then he would run up, jump off, do a moonsault. And that would be his finisher. And it took me three matches before I realized, oh, moonsault. (laughs) And I felt so fucking stupid. (laughs) But God, the girls screaming, it was legit boy band atmosphere for Trent and his butt. Trent would
0: be part of the first ever Cage of Death. And the first thing you ever hear on a CZW Cage of Death is someone coming out to Bob with a Bob by Kid Rock. <laughs> <laughs> and like you could tell there was like some backstage drama where the, the wrestler wanted to wait until the my name is Kid part to walk out. But the showrunners were like, Ricky, you're making us late. And he's like, But I want to wait till the My Name is Kid part. And he's like, God damn it, Ricky, just get out there. Cause he walks out at like the most unclimactic part and he's dragging his feet like in protest. And <laughs> it's, it's it's hilarious.
2: I fuck you guys. I still I still listen to Bob with a bar, all right? Like it's You a got good them right. Like, and fine. and fuck anybody that doesn't like biscuit too. Just throw that in there too. <laughs> like they got some bangers for sure.
0: So with with the Limp Biscuit and Kid Rock references, this is I mean, we need to get you in this headspace for about the next thirteen minutes of this podcast. Ba <laughs> bah hardcore indie promotion, nineteen ninety nine, New Jersey. All right. So Trent's gonna find himself in two matches here, and uh he's still pretty rough around the edges, but with these pre two thousands matches, you gotta know dude's still learning, still a baby. So Trent's first thing, he's going to hit a three count as the time limit expires at two. It's crazy how that always happens. And then after that match... okay and then after that match johnny cashmere and robbie marino walk out to summer lovin from greece and their gimmicks are greasers it's honestly wonderful uh, but they happen to have <laughs> a, a little glitter on their face so the entire crowd gets canceled from twitter in unison for using a gay slur as trent and lotus attacks them i heard a small child
2: scream the f-word <laughs> like like a seven-year-old it's awful <laughs> Yeah, I actually, for a How Did This Get Booked episode, I had this nice sweet lady watch CZW, They Said It Couldn't Be Done, and just the commentary from John House, like, she was not happy to be talking about said release, and she's just like, this is awful, like, and just spent an hour and 15 minutes berating me on making her watch this for a podcast for zero (laughs) dollars
1: but you know it comes up more later but we gotta get since we're talking about it now nobody we gotta give respect to the philly fans because nobody can chant a trent likes butt sex but then 35 seconds later do a golf clap for an amazing sequence with him and ruckus i mean you gotta give it up
0: from here trent's He's bouncing around all the other Northeast promotions. He even landed himself a spot on the 2000 East Coast Wrestling Super 8 tournament, getting bounced in the first round by the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews. And uh, this is a yearly tournament. If you don't know, AJ Styles has been part of it. Both of the Hardy Boys. Some uh, past winners, Paul London, Christopher Daniels, Austin Creed, aka Apollo Crews. Uh, Jake, do you know anything about the Super
1: 8? Sorry, I want to jump in real quick and say uh, Charlotte's own Scoot Andrews. Yeah, oh, put right. some goddamn
2: respect on Scoot Andrews' fucking name, all right? <laughs> don't just glaze right through it. And, of course, you would be like, oh, when AJ Styles won it. Like, and you, that's the first. <laughs> <laughs> Let me show you how much credibility it has. AJ Styles won it. Like <laughs> of course, Nicholas would do it, start there. Um, but, yeah, the Super 8, for whatever reason, I'm not, ex- I don't exactly know for sure how Jim Kettner pulled this off like this was the, like during a time where super indie tournaments were like a big deal. The King of the Indies tournament, um, even kind of like IWM South Sweet 16, Sweet Science 16 was a big deal that, obviously like king of the death matches from iw south as well but like super indie tournaments got a lot of attention um even though i think that's kind of like waned over the years like because every every promotion is trying to copy their own version of battle of los angeles and like during this time like the super eight was where actually they got like people like i think even bruce pritchard went to like the super eight or they sent agents there to scout talent so the wow. Super 8 was like considered this is where we discover our new talent. I think even Edge and Christian made an appearance in Super 8, if I'm not mistaken, or at least Christian did. I'm almost positive about that. And it was also too like some of the guys that were in developmental with WWE would get sent there to kind of bolster the high profile in this. And of course, Kettner would fly somebody in from the West Coast to make it seem like this is more of a national thing and make it such a big deal. Um, I remember talking to Tony Cazino about it, who actually took part in one of the super Aids, And he just talked about how Jim Kettner was very particular and the things that he wanted, ran it like a, a very reputable promotion and, and tried to get these these guys in the super eight to launch their career from this particular tournament. So he put a lot of work in making the super eight like this thing, like, Oh, this is the beginning of somebody's career. Cause you always hear these stories about how your boy, uh, X-Pac one, two, three kid lightning kid, yeah. th- a tape of him wrestling Sabu, got circulated around and that was the thing that got him noticed and this is during the era where tapes were get traded the DVDs eventually get traded or video of this guy in this tournament and showing how much of an incredible wrestler is and that gets circulated around and then he builds his career off of that and that's basically what the Super 8 was done was to create that and it's, it's a very noble thing that I don't think is done so much anymore is it a promoter that's like looks at something like a Super 8 or like a BOLA or an event or a tournament or some sort of thing and, and looks at it as like, oh, okay, this thing is created to create a new star, but not somebody that can end up being a star in this promotion two or three years from now, but somebody could be a star someplace else more successful than than this place right here. But then people would know that this is such a big deal. And then I have to respect and honor the, the weight in which the winner of this the winner of this is carried and looked at. So i must going to stretch out the considerable respect and that people know that when you go to the super eight, you could be seeing a guy that could be somewhere else where a lot of times now it's like, let's put the guy over. That's going to be here three years from now. So he can benefit me uh, yeah. as opposed to let's create this thing. That's a launching pad for somebody else. And then hopefully they remember it, or we make this such a big deal that people come in and they know to always come in for this. So not a lot of people create specific events to make a guy and his career going forward they want to make their promotion and make their brand or make a guy that they know they can have around so there's a weird shift in indie wrestling that way and that's yeah, always the discussion with Bola every year. Like, who are they going to put over? And obviously, for a while, like, the guy who wins Bola is sometimes the guy that's going to be around for a while. But the idea is if you have a great match in the Bola tournament, that could be the springboard. So Bola, I think, is one of the few where you kind of get enough of both worlds that if you have a great match in Bolo, it could be the springboard to something else. But sometimes the winner is necessarily the guy that's going to be there for a couple of years that you're going to get a couple a couple of good matches out, a couple of good main events, the, guy, the next champion uh, that puts him over, and then, of course, after that, they springboard from there. It's usually like step two as opposed to the last step before they go up. Huh. What are your thoughts on Demolition? <sighs> See, once again were, this is going to be what this fucking episode is I'm going to like drop some fucking knowledge and just you're going to be a shit bag fucking interviewer don't forget to say my next question for you is
1: you need a water you want water
2: Look, <laughs> we gotta switch tapes we gotta switch tapes we gotta switch tapes
1: All right, so aside
0: from uh, picking up the tag team titles with the Backseat Boys, in summer of 2000, Trent and CZW would head over to Japan as part of CZW's relationship with Big Japan, and Acid worked as a singles competitor winning Big Japan's junior heavyweight title.
1: I couldn't find any footage of any of this, really. Nick, could you find anything? Nah, nothing. I even deep dove on my uh, obscure internet torrent stuff and i just couldn't find anything of this it sounded like just from everything i read about it it was fantastic but really because i'm sure i had
2: the vhs tapes at the office i'm pretty i'm pretty sure i got like several trend acid matches from roughly about this era just sitting on a vhs tape maybe even a dvdr in the office right now sounds
0: like some patreon stuff that we could potentially get sued for but not if no one else finds out
2: yeah. Is that the sound you make when a private link is uploaded? Back
0: in the States, the Backseat Boys would lose the CZW Tag Team titles at Blood, Sweat, and Violence August 12, 2000 to Rick Blade and probably my all time favorite hardcore wrestler, Sick Nick Mondo.
2: Sick Nick Mondo, also not only your favorite hardcore wrestler, but also too a fabulous video editor, cinematographer. Like a lot of the John Moxley promos that you've seen, especially like after his release, all done by Sick Nick Mondo. Yes, yep. what? Yeah.
1: that's awesome. I remember hearing that he went to film school, but I mean, shit, he actually made some of himself. Which, for going to film school, is pretty impressive. <laughs> Have you not seen his documentary that he made about No, himself? I, I, I've seen it's on YouTube, but I still haven't watched it. I really uh, got to watch that it's, fucker. It's I know, I suck.
0: very deep and artsy and very good. I, I love Sick Nick, man. So this match is like, I think it's amongst CCW fans. Like this match still gets talked about. And uh, you see Trent here with like a solid year of... Being a professional wrestler, like for real, and holy shit, he is so much better than some of these earlier matches we've talked about. Uh, you're still not getting Harley Race or Ricky Steamboat ring psychology, but you can see him like putting these pieces together to become what he will become. And this match is just so much fun.
1: Yeah, oh man, I had like note after note after note of just like oh god, fuck me type spots. But I think my the one that it was hard for me to write out was Rick Blade gets Trent Acid in a Mexican surfboard, and I I forget how it happens, but somebody holds a chair over Trent Acid's face, and then Sick Nick Mondo does a springboard moonsault that then smashes into the chair and into Trent Acid's face as he's in a Mexican surfboard. It looks like he's fucking And the
2: incredible thing about Rick Blade is he's very much a high-risk, high-reward guy, In that Uh there are stuff, (laughs) there are things that he does that do not (laughs) accurately come off well. But there is always that hope uh that if he gets into a situation and he hits 95%, it might be the most incredible thing you've ever seen before. But then there are times (laughs) where he's a little bit more 60-40, and then it's like, (laughs) oof. But if you... As a performer or wrestling somebody like that, and I think Trent would have been smart enough to recognize that, like, hey, I need to pull him back and get him to do the things that I think he can do 90% of the time as of the things that he can do 60% of the time. So let's focus more on that 90% as opposed to swinging for the fences on the 60% just so we can get him a match where like, oh, he's good and he's on point, And then they can kind of forgive you later when you miss something that 40% of the time.
0: I'm glad you said that because Rick Blade was like MVP in this match. He was, he was incredible the entire time.
1: Yeah, the thing that gets me is like there's this opening sequence if People watch this match because they should because it's fucking fantastic. But the opening sequence, it, it's that thing where it's so choreographed, but it doesn't matter. I still popped like a total bitch because it's so infectious and the energy adds up so much. Rick Blade does all this type of Matrix style shit where it is like an actual kung fu movie. And sometimes it can look pretty rough, but when he nails it, like it's, it's goosebumps stuff, man.
0: I don't want to spoil the spot for people who haven't seen it yet, but there's this double table spot. That when it happened, <laughs> yeah. the way I reacted to seeing it, I scared Spencer, who was working with <laughs> headphones in. Like she like jerked back around and was like, "Is everything okay?" <laughs> because I was
1: Nick's watching Faces of Death over here. And Spencer's <laughs> worried for him.
0: And as far as hardcore wrestling goes, I think this is a really good example. This match of hardcore wrestling where it's like perfectly balanced. Like it's so hardcore, it's so breathtaking, but like there's some like really legit innovative wrestling moves in this match. Uh, They could have even turned up the hardcore a little bit with like, you know, some more crazy light bulb, whatever. But like this was like perfectly balanced, I thought. Traditional wrestling fans couldn't be too mad at it. And then
2: the hardcore fans are also stoked about it. Yeah, it's very similar to the Hardy Boys like ladder matches from about this same time period, yeah, is, is that idea of athletic maneuvers within a hardcore environment? Because always the knock on hardcore guys, like, oh, it's guys that are on a lathic, just gushing and just bleeding all over the place and not really doing anything. But when you take something that seems so one dimensional and add a second or third dimension to it, it just makes it that much more incredible and and limitless in a sense. Jake, what's the most hardcore match you've ever done? Well, yeah. I've, I've had a couple of, like, campground matches where it's, like, with the tent and camping chairs. And in one of them, I got, like, a bunch of sticks outside. and It was, like, you know, kindling, but they were, like, big sticks, so they kind of it seemed a bit more visually interesting. And I took, like, a Death Valley driver into them. And that was a big mistake because there was like little like parts of those sticks. So I got uh, like a million little cuts all over me. It was like wooden barbed wire, basically. And then land no, and then no. landing awkwardly on sticks that hit me in a weird place, like right on the rib area. Like that was not fun. And but then early in my career, I don't think anybody would have ever seen this. I don't think anybody's ever seen this one. I had a, gosh, it was a three-way table match. Tag team title match back in new Midwest wrestling in Springfield, Illinois. The first promotion I ever worked for probably the first eight months of wrestling I ever did. And it came down to me and another guy, Tokus Steve, my trainer and basically we, we felt like the last table because elimination tables of course because it's independent wrestling we, we've we got to put five <laughs> guys through a table because the thing is too like you couldn't just like hit one table and then the team's eliminated no you could still be one person and then fight your way all the way in so like we'll go through five tables so by the time you get to that final table bump it's got to kind of fucking mean something so we decided that the final table bump would be wrapped in barbed wire yeah. So we wrapped this table in barbed wire and me and Toga Steve were on the apron, like fighting who's going to fall, who's going to fall, who's going to fall. And I did this, I used to do this one maneuver that, that Regal used to do, which I may start doing again because it's, it's been a while since I've done it and I haven't seen a whole lot of people do it. Where you take the arm and almost you clothesline the guy with their own arm almost into like a kind of... I would say Koji cutter or kind of a cutter, reverse cutter situation, but you have the guy clothesline with the arm. And that was what I did, Toga Steve off the apron through a barbed wire table And the Uh, thing is, I tried to put him on the table as much as possible, so I overshot the table, Uh, so I basically jumped off the apron and did, like, a flying back bump (laughs) and landed on, like, this bingo hall floor, like, flat-backed, just so I could give Toga Steve as much of this barbed wire table as possible. That was probably, like, one of the more hardcore things I've ever done in my career. Uh, It definitely shows that it was eight months in. Um, just wish it was at a crowd in Philadelphia. I would have been an over fucking star and I would have wrestled Chris Hero in 2009, but I was doing it in Springfield, Illinois, (laughs) unbeknownst to anyone in the entire wrestling world.
1: You have that on tape? (laughs) Oh yeah, I got it. And it's funny
2: too, when it happens, the tape kind of fucks up. (laughs) So you almost, you almost miss the bump, but it's great. The fucking commentators... Cause it's the finish of the match And you think that You know In the finish Like oh my gosh Mr. Elite won There, like There'd be some sort of reaction But once it happened It was like Dead silence Like here's the bump And then all you hear is Oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but grave concern Just concern Concern yeah, no Concern, concern. Like, Oh fuck <laughs>
1: what's the most hardcore match you've ever been offered? Have you ever gotten offered for like a light tube, crazy insanity and you had to turn it down? Or oh, the, I, I was offered you
2: know. to wrestle uh, Nick Gage. And oh, I yeah. said, yeah. And I kind of like, was like, yeah, I'll do that. But I should have been more enthusiastic because that same show, like he wrestled Kurt stallion for a wrestling revolver. And it was like my first time, like, being a little bit closer to Nick Gage, like, I'd always kind of seen him at other places, or, like, I never, like, interacted with him too much, but I I finally, like, was in a locker room with him, and, of course, he is the most polite individual. What a fucking sweetheart. Oh, my God, (laughs) Nick Gage is such a wonderful human being. And once I... (laughs) recognize that at the show and he was wrestling somebody else. I'm like, Oh man, I really should have fucking went bonkers when this was suggested because <laughs> God like what a fucking cool dude. And here's, here's a, here's a sidebar into my personal life. There's actually like this, this girl that I'm talking to. Who's a, a huge, like wrestling fan. She's one of the cool kids. She likes the independent wrestling TV um, and GCW, but she has no fucking time for Highspots.com because we're a bunch of old fucks. Uh, So like, (laughs) like, she was going to be down in Florida watching a lot of the collective shows uh, because Russell Conn is for the old farts, Um, you know. But she's a big fan of Nick Gage, and we were we were talking about if you could have Nick Gage replace dot dot dot. Like we were playing a game of like, if you could have Nick Gage replace a Disney princess, if you could have Nick Gage replace a president and not including the one we have right now. And my answer was, if you could have Nick Gage replace any other president other than the one we have right now, I picked Lyndon B. Johnson because then that would mean Nick Gage would be around during the civil rights movement. And he's talking about MDK is down with MLK. He could then go on and people talk about Vietnam and he'd be like, Fuck that shit. And then also, too, filling in after your president's assassinated. Could you imagine the promo that Nick Gage would say, you come after one of my own? I fucking come after your goddamn ass. Murder, death, kill, motherfucker. Like, that's what I would love to see in this world. So, yeah. Um Nick Gage just wrestling Nick Gage in a regular ass fucking match, that's the most hardcore thing that was put in front of my plate that I still regret to this day. <laughs> Cause if I could ever make an opportunity where I wrestle Nick Gage, that would be incredible. And if we do tent stuff and camping tent stuff and put me through kindling and me and Nick Gage in a in a campground match would be I think superb.
0: So Trent would spend the next year murdering motherfuckers across the Northeast and tons of promotions, big and small, building a reputation, further improving in the ring. And in 2001, he got quite the push from CZW as a singles competitor, as uh, the owner, John Zandig, was very high on him.
2: Know how you let him know that he was real high on him? John Zandig, the boss. Saw Trent just kind of stretch it in the ring, and uh, Zandig, like, just called him over didn't even holler everybody knew that he he, because he looked trent dead in the eye and just called him over gave him to come hither with his finger trent walked over john put his arm around trent walked him out back there was there was probably some honda civics parked in the background and trent just kind of leaned up against one had, had his arms crossed didn't know what didn't know if he was getting into trouble with john zandig and john just Stood there and looked Trent right in the eyes as Trent leaned on a Honda Civic and goes in blood How
0: That's how that went down. O oh, one is when they did like the heat sketch, right?
1: Uh yeah it is. Uh for- 4 2001 they are the backseat Dudleys, and they show up, it's like one of those NYC shows where they have like a normal crowd, I forget what that shit was exactly, but you got Cole and Taz on the mic, and Cashmere's on the mic saying they're the backseat Dudleys, and everybody's honor- honorary Dudleys, and then Prince Albert comes out and power bombs both of them through a table, but they got 85 seconds of WWF airtime for just that small little moment. And then commercial break after they get destroyed. It
2: was WWF New York, if you're not mistaken. That that yeah, wonderful restaurant you, that you. stuck around. Which, <laughs> the, the menu uh, <laughs> WWF New York, I'm sure will end up on an auction someday, somewhere, on High Spot's Facebook page.
1: 2001, they, the Best of the Best show was huge for him. Alright, this is Trent Russell's five separate matches in one night. Uh, As a three-way, the second match, he wrestles Hooventut Guerrera. Who for some reason's doing a rock gimmick where he says "Hoovy has come back to Philly" and does a Hoovy people's elbow?
2: That's weird. <laughs> he was shit doing to that in WCW, um, man. Did he? Because was don't... like, like he, like the Rock would say, "The <laughs> Rock," but he was the Juice.
1: See, God, I'm slipping. Uh, then he takes on a young Jay Briscoe. They do a crazy ass spot that I won't ruin, but it's definitely worth. Then he goes up against Winger in the finals, who's in a mask. But, oh, it turns out it was Johnny Cashmere the whole time in a Winger mask. And then he takes that off, and then the actual Winger comes out. I don't know why he wasn't informed. And then he actually loses to Winger, but that's five separate matches in one damn night. Let me get some other ones. If you want to watch CZW Breakaway Brawl, it's an outside light tube match with Acid, Zandig, Cashmere, and Justice Payne. If you want to see Zandig do a Japanese arm drag, yeah, that's a good sell. (laughs) And then two things I can't recommend highly enough: watching shit. Trent Acid and Ruckus had two matches: 929 2001, and then 1215 2001. The second one at Cage of Death 3. They have a little uh, storyline where this is when Trent has the CZW and Big Japan Junior Heavyweight titles, and there's a double pin in the first match, which is really good and spot heavy crazy. And then there's uh, the Cage of Death match is exceptionally CZW. You got Trent doing moonsault off the CZW stage. You got Ruckus doing a shooting star press off the commentator stage onto Trent through a table. And they end up getting counted out. And then, up oh, here comes Zandig's music hits. And he walks out with a ladder who says a bunch of ill-timed bullshit. Restart the match. Cashmere interferes. And they uh, pin Ruckus. But then the referee, Brian Logan, comes out, who spears the fuck out of Johnny Cashmere. He restarts the match for the second time, and then Trent Asset ends up hitting the nastiest Yakuza kick, which, gotta point out, Trent had one of the best y- Yakuza kicks ever, and then he finally wins it. It is one of those good examples of a restart, restart, dumpster fire, spot shit insanity that's really worth watching, and him and Ruckus doing it great. One more thing. After this, there's a Trent versus Winger Ruckus match. And to immediately start the match, Winger is a Japanese wrestler in a mask. Trent immediately rips off Winger's mask and wears it himself to start the match. So talk about some shitty disrespect. It's fantastic.
0: 2002's also a really big year for Trent. He would grabbed the CZW Junior Heavyweight title for the entire year. He'd also go on to win 2002's CZW Best of the Best Tournament. And he would land him a spot in this new company called Ring of Honor and let the people know about Ring of Honor starting out because I would say 2002 to 2006 ish, 7 ish is like really shaped the way I view pro wrestling.
2: Yeah, it's like I said at the, at the beginning of the program, like they were trying to fill that void of what. Like- ECW was, but also, too, they were looking at uh, the 2001 King of the Indies as well. Like the idea of just there are these highly technical professional wrestlers all over the world and we can fly them in, bring them in. We can bring someone in like a Brian Danielson a Christopher Daniels from the West Coast. Um, get these guys that are, are performing at such a high work rate and still a little bit of blood and guts but like let's lean more towards the the highly technical professional wrestlers and also we have some very good professional wrestlers in the area like homicide low-key guys that are coming in their own but the, the, the talent needs to be fostered and nurtured and wrestling guys from the west coast the midwest florida all coming together and converging in that northeast area in that hotbed of people that paid attention to ecw at since it it just disappeared it was trying to fill that void that ecw had but got away from some of the blood and guts which was kind of seen as the thing that was a bit of the downfall the thing that lost their tv contract the thing that kind of turned people off to the, the product itself but lean harder on the things that the people in charge of regular of thought that ECW did so well it was just trying to find their identity and find their balance and they they tried a lot of things there's a lot of things that doesn't hold up there's some things that obviously some swings like we're trying to figure out what our our identity is but you're seeing the beginnings of like the Samoa Joes of like I said, Brian Danielson, Christopher Daniels, Low Key, AJ Styles. <laughs> AJ Styles. <laughs> I was getting there. I was getting there. I'm not going to put in my, my first name that I mentioned, but I'll put in my seventh name I mentioned. And then also, too, Amazing Red, too. like Yeah, yeah like Paul oh, yeah. London, and too. Man. Paul Big London. And just oh, giving guys a lot of opportunity to express themselves and in the, this incredible art form of professional wrestling that was, I think, now coming to the forefront now in the last two or three years these guys were doing it in 2002
1: it was weird i remember because i was getting rf video newsletters in the mail because i think i bought some ecw fan cams and stuff and i would keep getting the newsletters and then ecw shut down and then i started getting them and the covers were all this r- new ring of honor thing and in the time of my life i just wasn't doing wrestling stuff but i remember seeing like i remember seeing samoa joe on a cover i'll post it on our social media i found an old one in my room But just seeing this new promotion and the way they were building it up got me so damn interested. And then later, like around 2006, I finally got into it and I dove in hardcore. So, of course, I went back and bought the shows and watched them in chronological order because I'm going to follow this fucking narrative, man. But the, the first show, The Era of Honor... There's a three-way between Danielson, Daniels, and Loki, all top-tier dudes that Jake just mentioned, and I think that's what Ken Shamrock's the ref for that, because they still had a little, you know, WWF hype to it, but the three-way they do, man, it it sets the tone for the entire company. They'd hype that match for years and years throughout all the DVDs to just try to sell stuff, but that three-way, I cannot recommend enough. Technical, brutal, some of the high spots that make you worry about their safety, and that that match just left an impression on me. It was that, it was that shit where you're like the fantasies you had in your head of like, Oh man, what if they did this in a match? And then, and then they kept doing this where it almost seemed superhuman. They did that, but it felt legit because Danielson and, and Christopher Daniels and Loki were fucking workers, not just spot monkeys. And they made it all believable. And, And then I just watched all those early night of the champions with Xavier being the first champ and all that stuff, man, those early days there, each ring of honor show in those early days had almost a match of the year candidate, every single card. And it was just so exciting to kind of find this new thing that you didn't think would ever exist.
0: Huh? Micah, were you there when Brett punched Vince? (laughs) Head of my notes here that you were there when Brett punched Vince. Uh, What were your reactions?
1: I'm I'm no selling this. No, I was not, Nick. Please, Nick, go on.
0: <laughs> so, uh, the backseat boys' first match would be taking on Homicide and your boy, Steve Carino, Jake, uh, October 5th, 2002. Glory by honor.
1: I want to ask Jake to confirm or dis- disconfirm. That's a thing. Trent said that Steve Carino used to get really high and write screenplays for fan fiction of Beverly Hills 90210. No. Jake, is that true or not true?
2: Um, I can confirm the <laughs> former part of that statement. The latter part of that statement, I cannot uh, confirm nor deny.
1: The, the cool thing that they they gave the Backseat Boys respect and they, they kind of had an invasion part where they came in and said they were the best tag team champs or best tag team in the world. They're, they gave them the respect and they came in looking like a million bucks right out the gate.
0: Trent would also be part of the first ever ROH final battle, December 28th, o two, taking on the Hit Squad and Special K. So Backseat Boys and Trent, they're around for like all these historic first for companies that you know are going to eventually go on to be their big flagship pay-per-view for the year
1: yeah i I can't the final battle match just makes trent and the backseat boys look fucking fantastic man just the ones the the dream sequence is their tag team uh, chain wrestling type thing where they hit spot after spot but they make it look so good
0: trent would also get into a feud with homicide in both czw and roh and man Homicide was... Who didn't feud with Homicide in early Ring of Honor?
2: Oh, that, that promo that Eddie Kingston cut on NWA Power where he was like, you show Homicide some respect. That man built New York City. That That's basically <laughs> what he meant is Homicide. <laughs> he was a fucking cornerstone for Northeast Independent Wrestling. And when I first started... Being around him a little bit more when I was doing ringside camera work for Ring of Honor, like I remember him saying back then. And that was like, gosh, that was like 2011, 2012, maybe 2013 in that era. And he was just saying stuff like, "Man, I just want to, I just want to be around long enough to put more people over." And now, now this is like eight years later, and he's still going out there and trying to do his best to get people over. He's still trying to, you know, do his thing and give people opportunities and open doors for people and make wrestling better. And I, I don't know if Thomasite's ever gonna get the credit he deserves for building goddamn New York City. Eddie Kingston said it better than anybody else. It's the fucking <laughs> truth. Um, agreed, one thousand percent.
1: And just the matches you need to watch, uh, CZW five ten two thousand three. I mean, the the intensity they put on shit. They they're so good at knowing how to do good creative spots, working in real hate heat, and making you believe. But then doing those big crazy shit that makes you fear for them, man. Just that that CZW match, their uh, Wrestle Ray fight without honor. I can't recommend enough. The atmosphere is insane. Tranacid is mocking homicide in his uh, entire look. They do a uh, Ace Crusher off the top rope through a table to the outside. When I saw that, when I in like 2008, I remember thinking that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. God, the fucking Yakuza fighting spirit of uh, back and forth exchanges they would have. Holy shit, man! They made me so excited just watching wrestling. And it was, i see, I can't even fucking get it into words because they just put that intensity in it so much that you, you were scared for the next spot and it made everything exciting as hell, man.
0: And anyone that wants to try to sum up Trent Acid as like a light tube garbage wrestler, watch that fight without yeah. honor, man. That is an incredible pro wrestling match and it's brutal as fuck. I think that's my favorite match of Trent Acid.
1: Hundred percent. That's up there for me. That's probably number two for me. We'll get the number ones in a little bit, but also watch the Ring of Honor beating the odds match they have. They do all their crazy stuff. I don't mean to just kind of throw it to the side, but they do so much fun, crazy stuff. It is kind of like that. But at one point, Homicide busts Trent open the hard way, and his eye, his eye starts bleeding. Then they do a better Yakuza fighting spirit exchange than the WrestleRave match, and then there's a roaring elbow that Trent does. Second best roaring elbow in the business, only to Chris Hero. He hits Homicide awkwardly. He breaks and busts the fuck out of Homicide's nose. It's a shoot style. Uh, homicide might have got concussed in it. He's sitting there. There's blood pouring out of both nostrils. They work so hard, they both really fuck each other up the hard way. At the end, the crowd's going nuts, They all shake hands. Those dudes knew how to make goosebumps exist, man.
0: After the Homicide feud, the Backseat Boys would win the ROH Tag Team Championships, defeating Special K in the final of a gauntlet match for the vacant titles at ROH Glory by Honor, September 20th, 2003. The Backseat Boys would lose the titles a month later to Dizzy and Izzy of Special K at ROH Tradition Continues. But this would make the Backseat Boys the first ever tag team to win both CZW and ROH titles.
1: Yeah, damn it. I wish they would have had a little bit longer run, but you know, you know, the world's not a happy place. Also, if you want to watch that gauntlet match where they win it, I forgot how funny CM Punk was on commentary, but holy fucking shit. CM Punk is funny on commentary.
0: Back in CZW, Trent would be on another Cage of Death card and he'd pick back up the tag team titles from Nate Hatred and Nick Gage as part of the Backseat Boys. While dipping back and forth during his ROH feud with Homicide and Special K, Acid, Johnny Cashmere would join that high five stable, which looks like HIV because of the Roman numeral. Uh-huh. That shit's legit clever. Yeah. And they would feud with Zandig's ultraviolet team.
1: Yeah, they had the whole angle where, you know, it's Zandig shoot company, but it's a corporate takeover and we're going to do it. You might have seen some of this infamous footage where they got like... I don't know if Zandig is just an SNM dude by nature. I mean, well, obviously he fucking is. Where they actually put four fucking hooks into Zandig's shoulder blades uh-huh. and back and pull him up above the ring. It's some of the most fucked up imagery I've seen. And the best part is... Throughout all this, there's probably six, seven guys in the ring. And Trent is the one working the situation the most. He's he's still punching and kicking Zandig as he's being hooked like he's in fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's talking shit to him. He's working the whole time. The, the one thing I always loved watching Trent and getting to see him evolve was how much he would work every little moment that he could, man. He never stopped. He always had a facial expression or he was talking shit to somebody. Just some little thing. He was good about details and good being captivating because you never knew what that dude was going to do. He going to jump off the top rope and land on his head or he was just going to have a goofy little laugh and flip the crowd off at the perfect moment that would make it pop. But yeah, goddamn. Jake, do you remember this Zandik getting hooked and thrown up well, above the ring?
2: Some Insanity. people regard it as the point in time where everybody left CCW and went to Ring of Honor. Like, they point this as the uh. <laughs> point of, like, yep, this is not for us anymore. Right. Um... Fuck off, CZW. It was like the first time. Like, CZW, like, they got in the arena. They had a lot of momentum. They were running shows there once a month. Finally, we get wrestling back in the ECW arena once a month. People are excited. We got this new company, CZW. They got new stars. They got this blood and guts professional wrestling. What the fuck are you doing? Wait a minute. This isn't pro wrestling. It's like, whenever, it's like everybody saw it and then immediately turned into Jim Cornette and just fucking left. Like, it's just (laughs) this weird thing of like, this is not what I came. To see in professional wrestling, this is not like people got super turned off by that from all the accounts that I've heard about that incident. That was the turning point where everybody just like switched over to ring of honor. And that was about the time that ring of honor started picking up momentum is because they scooped up all these. Fans from CZW, they're like, "Yep, we're not watching anymore because you guys are doing this over here." Yeah, so um... I, that's what I've always heard from a couple different sources, and then that's when CZW becoming a punchline for the next eighteen years, through <laughs> like, th- throughout. And this was like the the first time that they were they were mentioned as such.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty hard to watch. It, I don't. I mean, if you like that type of shit or just want to say you saw it, it's it's pretty fucking gruesome, man.
0: So the next match, we could probably do an entire episode on just this match.
1: We should do a live stream where we all watch it, because that would be fun. That is a fun (laughs) idea.
0: So the ultra-violent versus high-five feud come to an end at Cage of Death 5 in the Cage of Death match, and you got uh, Ian Knox, John Zandig, Lobo, Nick Gage, Wife Beater, and a surprise entrant. Taking Whoa. on Adam Flash, B-Boy, the Backseat Boys, Messiah, and Nate Hatred.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and step in. Before all this, Trent actually wrestled Jimmy Rave earlier in the card before the Cage of Death. They had a Iron Man title in CZW where it was basically 20 minutes. Uh, how many pinfalls was the winner? Trent held on to that for a good long time. There's a good exchange between him and Jimmy. They put on a hell of a match, man. Jimmy, who most people probably don't remember, but he was a hell of a worker. People threw toilet paper at him. It was a good fucking gimmick. And I also want to put Trent over on the pre-match team promo before this fucking shit show. Trent reminded me of, like, the Survivor Series promos where it was a team and each one cuts a little bit of a promo and they're all staring into the camera. And Trent had that presence where he would look into the camera and you believed him. You knew he was a fucking real dude. You knew he wanted to win the match. Everybody else is kinda, eh. All right, this is, I'm gonna go for this. This is kinda weird. In film school, we watched a clip from the movie Stand By Me. Everybody's probably seen it. The kids go to find a dead body. And you'll probably remember there's a sequence where they're walking on some train tracks and everybody's running and screaming to get off, to jump off the bridge before the train hits them. And our film professor at the time showed us a clip Because some of the kids get to the bridge and they're screaming at the other kids to make it to the other side. And there's a shot where it's like Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman. And you see Corey Feldman, in comparison to the rest, is just really shit in the bed. But River Phoenix, at his young age, is the most committed, in-the-moment dude in the world. And in a weird way, I was watching these promos, and the way that Trent would sell every moment, stare into the camera... He was River Phoenix, and everybody else was Corey Feldman. I don't know if that fucking worked, but the actual <laughs> match. All right, Nick, what's your favorite spot?
0: Oh, my God. When New Jack comes out, I legitimately marked out.
1: Oh, I marked he out so He had a hard. fucking
0: knife hanging on a chain around his neck. I was like, oh, dear God. The spot with with Trent, I think he threw... Uh, was it Nick Gage? He threw him off of the side of the elevated walkway down through a table. It was it was nuts the bumps into the tact ring i mean this match is fucking it's 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 you can't describe it it's too much is going on and all of it is the most insane fucking thing you've ever seen happening multiple times at the same time it's it's absurd
1: i think my favorite so there's an extended it's i can't even describe the fucking monstrosity that this thing is there's a spot where they're hanging off of a chain link fence that's attached to the ceiling And then one of the dudes swings off of it and does a flying elbow drop onto a dude who's laying in the ring that's covered with a million thumbtacks. And it looks like something out of a fucking Thai action movie. There's probably six times, at least, where I screamed, oh my god, (laughs) and legit feared for their life. Because there are these spots, man, if they don't do it right, they are dead. It's one of those perfect, it's like a party tape wrestling match. It's like you go to a party, it's like, man, you got to watch Cage of Death 5. And then you put it on, everybody's fucked up and they watch it and they're just blown away. I I was, I could not believe what I was watching.
0: So around 2004 is when Trent and CZW and the Backseat Boys would kind of start having some trouble. Trent's personal demons were also starting to creep in, but not as much as they will. And the Backseat Boys would actually leave temporarily, but they would come back for Trent to have a career match at 4 CZW Retribution against Teddy Hart.
1: This is going to be a crazy thing I'm going to say, but I think Teddy Hart versus Trent Acid at Retribution might be in my top 20 matches of all time. Wow. Now, I know that's a crazy fucking thing. I know what I said sounds insane, but the atmosphere at this match is I want to, it's going to be another crazy thing I'm going to say, but it's kind of comparable to Hogan versus The Rock at WrestleMania. Yeah, I know, I'm crazy, shut the fuck up. But how much heat is in this match? And, and it's a small arena, so everything is fucking amplified. And it's just the dueling chants of Let's Go Eddie, Let's Go Acid, and just Teddy Hart losing his fucking mind. They end up going outside, wrestling in the streets of Philadelphia, fucking spots on cars. I mean, it's a total fucking shit show, but it's one of those that evolves to a place where you didn't expect. The underrated part of this is Trent Selling, man. He, he sells so realistic, and I bought it, and it's just, I, I, I can't rant about this match enough. I, I don't know what to say. I, I could not believe how much I fucking love this match.
2: You know, Teddy Hart not having more CZW matches I think is one of the great missteps in all of the wrestling world. Like, Teddy Hart, Dang who he is fits perfectly in that environment there there should have been just the train wreck that is ccw especially in this era and the train wreck that always has been teddy Hart. like (laughs) could have created something that we'd still be talking about even to this day it just it's a shame that that never got put on display now don't get me wrong none of it would hold up and none of it (laughs) and none of it would be uh pushing forward pro wrestling as this legitimate art form but god damn it like i i would have saw some stuff that i would never see again and probably never see again because it was the wrong thing to do (laughs) so uh there so there is that aspect to it as well but it would have been super fucking interesting if we got a, a little bit more of that, but you get to see quite a bit of it right here on display with Trent.
0: So Trent goes on to win his career match, but he's still dramatically going to leave CZW shortly after.
1: One random side bit around this time is the weirdest things i found just deep diving on Trent. Trent mentions in a shoot interview that uh, he went on a tour with Ruckus to Italy And they hung out with Bret Hart in (laughs) fucking Italy. There's a YouTube camcorder recording of Trent Acid and Bret Hart and Ruckus walking around Italy and it's basically Trent looking at all the hot chicks commenting on him. And then there's video of them celebrating Bret Hart's birthday at an Italian restaurant, (laughs) which the restaurant plays Bret Hart's entrance music as they bring out his cake. Trent said they just hung out and drank champagne all night and got fucked up and brett gave him or brett gave him so much advice and he kept in contact with trent and it said it was one of those weird ass kind of like mad lib things that like ruckus brett hart and trent acid hung out in italy for a night uh, it's cool footage You definitely it's not look
2: ridiculous up. when you think about the common thread between those three they all like to get high <laughs> they speak english and they all want to get high of go. course they were gonna like those go. things are gonna collide like hey we need to get some weed and we need to smoke it so we can have a good time here oh and we can't talk to anybody because we don't know italian great let's just hang out together speak american get super fucking high and it's your birthday and you're an international, international superstar yeah come on man
1: hey and i want to put over real quick trent's last um match at czw this is one of the weirdest heartfelt moments i've had doing research for this podcast so first i want to put over trent's or the backseat boys entrance when they would come out to the midnight express's theme song which i didn't know was from the actual drug smuggling late 70s or early 80s movie midnight express jake did you know that midnight express got their song from the movie i'm sure you did yeah you're
2: smarter than me correct i'm smarter about movies than you (laughs) it it,
1: it hurt man i admit it it hurt when i learned this i felt like an idiot so they they would come out to the midnight express music guys the vibe it would create was so good and they would come out only dudes first dudes to ever do it where they would act like strippers and all the chicks in the front row would stick dollars down their pants (laughs) so that's your context so his last match in czw there was one chick to the left of camera to the right of Trent walking out, who would always be at every CZW arena show, ready to put dollars down Trent's pants. And I would say she's been doing it for the three and a half years of matches I watched. And for her, the last match, she didn't know this, but I did, that it was the last time she was going to get to put dollars down Trent's pants. And for something in me, it just made me go, oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs>
0: So shortly after, the Backseat Boys would have a dramatic exit from CZW. Uh, They hated how they were getting booked, and they even accused Zandig of interfering in their career and costing them bookings and other promotions, even saying specifically Zandig contacted Steve Carino and got them pulled off
2: of a World One show.
1: Yeah, they didn't seem to like Carino too much. And then there's 45 minutes of them shitting on Zandig, which is kind of fun to...
2: Well, in that interview, too, where they're discussing leaving czw you can see like the heartbreak in their eyes yeah, and for real. that always stuck with me when i saw that like cause i saw that that shoot interview like years ago like it's probably been 10 years since i've seen that that shoot interview it's one of those shoot interviews that i just put in like on a drive like on a portable dvd player <laughs> and used to listen to them the way i listen to podcasts um because I, I would do that for, like when i worked for high spots I remember like seeing just the heartbreak in their eyes of being a part of this promotion and feel like you had a little bit of ownership over it, and then the guy who writes the checks feels the need to exert his authority to let you know, like, no, 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 all this hard work that you've put in, it means absolutely nothing, I'm the boss, fuck you, and just that heartbreak is how I feel about PWX, the local promotion here. Is that i i've felt time and time again that i've been reminded like oh yeah all that hard work that you put in doesn't mean anything all those times when you took your own personal credit card and put it down for rental chairs in New york south carolina trying to invent some sort of device where the ring can sit on a slope in the neighborhood theater um, that doesn't mean nothing um, being the guy that paid for Roderick Strong's hotel room, pick guys up at the airport, book guys while I was working ringside camera with Ring of Honor, grab a promo with them. Um, this is before when everybody like had cell phones and c- could send in a promo. I would seek these guys out to get online U- YouTube promos to promote the show and use social media, but then told, you know, fuck you, that doesn't mean anything. It's just a constant reminder that nobody's that important. Nobody, everybody can be replaced. and getting humbled like that is fucking rough and it fucking sucks. And then, and then what always fucking happens, you become a bigger commodity and then they bring you back and they forget like it never fucking happened and it's all fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think that's exactly what happened with fucking Trent and Johnny cashmere. It was just like, you could tell like they were told that their hard work doesn't matter. And I think when you're in a leadership position like that, that you should recognize people's hard work and, Take the responsibility and protect them. That's what the thing that I find fascinating about the Last Dance documentary. Even to this day, Phil Jackson will not throw his players under the bus. And that's what you want in a leadership position, is the <laughs> guy who's like, nope, okay, you made this decision. I don't agree with it, but I'm not I'm not gonna argue with it. I'm not gonna say that's a bad decision because it's your decision and, and I will support you in that. But uh we're trying to push to this common goal, and I think this is contradictory of that, but I will not throw you under the bus for doing so.
1: I also wanted to say, just I don't, hopefully, we never have to talk about him again in depth. But Johnny Cashmere comes off like the coolest, nicest, smartest motherfucker in the shoot interview. To be fair, it seems like he had a lot of problems with missing dates and contributed to some stuff with their problems. But Cashmere in the shoot, man, he seems like the coolest, smartest dude who you'd want to hang out with and who really had a smart head on his shoulders.
0: And that is a perfect segue to add to all of Trent's drama. Kashmir was starting to no-show tons of dates from Mm -hmm. ROH, which would get him fired, leaving Trent in a bit of a pickle. Trent would have a non-CZW singles run in all of 2004, facing the likes of Samoa Joe, Delirious, Matt Seidel, Jack Evans, Colt Cabana. And he would even uh, beat our boy Chris Candido for the USA Pro-US title November 19th, 2004. All that sounds pretty good on paper, but 04 was the year that Trent's personal demons started bleeding over into his matches and making them bad. We'll get into some more stuff later, but this is the start of the end for Trent Acid.
1: Nick is 100% on that, so let's say some happy fun stuff before we gotta get into the crap. Because I didn't do this till last night, but I went back and watched all the Trent's 2004 single stuff they were pushing him, man. They gave him so much room. I mean, they called him the king of the multi-person matches. I mean, there's Round Robin Challenge 3, 515, 2004 Watch that. Trent, Trent looks amazing throughout some of these multi-person matches. He is the all He doesn't win this match, but he is far and away the fucking all-star. He does this spot where he uses Roderick Strong's back as like a launch pad to kick up off of and catapult himself into a drop kick. it's it. Trent would do this stuff that I only saw him do once throughout all the matches I watched, but he would throw in these things that just blow you away. He had a four-corner survival and a six-man mayhem in a Death Before Dishonor night one and two, where he won both of those. I mean, they were putting Trent over big, man, and he, God, he looked fucking good. They even had, I mean, there was matches where he wouldn't start the match, and the crowd's chanting, we want Trent, we want Trent. I mean, it's so fun to watch him, like, how good he was when he really felt it. Because a lot of indie stuff, sometimes back then, felt like you could watch them doing spots or you could see them going through the moments. But Trent had an intensity and you could see him so comfortable in the ring because he was just, it, he was fucking good, which makes so much more of what we're going to say sad. Uh, I need to put over the Colt Cabana match 100%. The opening comedy sequences they do, I lost my fucking shit find the survival of the fittest match please watch it oh my god it's it's only 8 minutes but it killed me i it was it was sad watching these matches cuz i knew what was coming but they were really pushing him But fuck, it's just, it's so sad. And he was, he would do anything. The crowd loved him. CZW crowd gave him a lot of shit and he got a lot of heat. But most of it was, you know, just angry, homophobic, stupid. But Ring of Honor appreciated the living shit out of him. And that's what made it hurt so much to watch him. Because he was killing. And then he was gone.
0: So Acid would lose his last ever Ring of Honor match at Final Battle 04 to Jimmy Jacobs shortly after he would quit Ring of Honor. 2004 would also be the year that Trent and Johnny would start their own promotion and school, pro wrestling unplugged running shows out of the old ECW arena. Jake, you ever heard of PWU?
2: Yes, and uh, actually if you look at some of the old RF video in the ring series, it's at the PWU school and you'd see Johnny Cashmere and Trent Acid there (laughs) as the guys in there teaching their students. And there's a couple of interesting faces in that crowd that are a little bit more known today but um yeah there was like a concerted effort like wu is going to be the new promotion that's going to you know run the arena and it's going to be blow CCW out of the water and blow everybody else out of the water in the indies and it's just it, i don't know it's just, there was a lot of people trying to run big shows in the area. I think there's like NWA cyberspace uh, Jersey all pro is still a thing. USA pro is still a thing. It it, it was just a very oversaturated market in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007. And then like I said, 2007, 2008, 2009 was the most insufferable year of independent wrestling. There was no money in it. Nobody was buying (laughs) any fucking merch, So it was just hard to fucking, get any type of traction any type of spots any type of talent to move up because the same talent at the top of the card in 2009 was the same talent in oh oh three. so the main events were a bit stagnant but at the same time too what are you gonna do not book chris hero in the main event he's one of the best guys on the card are you not gonna knock it up book loki even though it gives you a fucking headache sometimes like it's just <laughs> it was the same same guys that were there because WWE was only hiring one or two indie guys and they were usually giving them shit and then booking them horribly. So there was no forward progression. There were no European tours. Nobody was making legit money. So it was just a fucking tough time to start a wrestling promotion like that.
0: So at PWU, trans Feuding with people like Homicide, Two Colts Scorpio, Devin Moore. He would win a tournament for their heavyweight title, and he he even defended it against Balls Mahoney.
1: Trent would have his rare WWE actual match, uh, January 9th, 2006, on a dark match on Sunday Night Heat. Him and Bison Bravado went up against Three Minute Warning. You probably remember him as Rosie and Jamal. They got squashed. I tried to find this match. Uh, WWE Network doesn't have it on my dive deep torrent stuff didn't have it i hope it's not really a dark match who knows maybe it just never got recorded but i want to see trent's only wwf match but he he had one man he had one and
0: 2007 trent acid would make his debut in juggalo championship wrestling jake juggalo wrestling
2: i've done fucking nine other podcasts talking about my experience of gathering at the Juggles <laughs> and just about every fucking Tinder date I go on I have to tell the fucking story of being at the gathering of the <laughs> because every fucking Tinder because every women. Tinder date I go on somebody has to talk shit about ICP and then I have to go well you know I was on stage at the gathering of the Juggalos and then I have, to, like, I have to tell that story and then I have to talk about how Zane Riley might've murdered somebody uh, with a bottle of Faygo. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Oh yeah, but,
1: I uh, yeah. Uh, I think it also needs to be set. Oh, that's
2: uh, okay. Go ahead, interrupt me. Go ahead. I thought you were done. No, I, I was going to put All a right. nice little bow on it, but that's okay. It's a go ahead. Go, go. A I know bow I, it, the, the bow's already been undone. I, I, I'm I'm <laughs> oh simply going to take marker and write to and from on it, and not put a bow on it. How about that? <laughs> 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 um,
1: what I was interrupting Jake to say, he would actually have a faction called the Young Altar Boys because he's a priest, so oh, they need to be a little young. And uh, they were they went by the names of Tim, Tom, Terry, and Todd. <laughs> and Jake, do you know the story behind this? Because at one point on commentary, Violent J or one of them says Trent Acid is one of the most hated wrestlers alongside Tracy Smothers here in Juggalo <laughs> Championship Wrestling. Yeah,
2: I, I would check out Tracy Smothers. know how to get some fucking heat.
1: I also want to point out uh, one of my favorite moments of watching Juggalo matches: when uh, at one outdoor show, Trent Acid gets a glass bottle thrown at him. And then after that, he gets a dead fish from him.
0: <laughs> it was also around this time the backseat boys tried to get the band back together, but Johnny Cashmere was right back on his no showing bullshit. He even no showed PWU shows, and that was his own fucking promotion. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I would say around this time is when the documentary Card Subject The Change would start shooting. And uh, if you never watched this documentary, it is a very close up look at indie wrestling. And halfway through the documentary, they just straight up lose contact with Trent Acid because this is when things completely start disintegrating for him. He lost his body. He's passing out in the middle of matches. He's showing up to work too fucked up to walk, much less wrestle. And that leads to July 13th, 2008, when Trent would get confronted by his longtime friend, uh, Billy Rill. They got into, I believe, a bit of a fight. The police were called and they searched Trent's home. They found drugs and Billy didn't want to press charges. But, you know, Trent had a few things on his record already. So between the assault, everything to go with it. Trent's getting pulled in, he's getting put through the court system, and he's going to be sentenced to seven months in prison, but he did get released a little early, January 28th of 09, and that's when he would show back up on the documentary, and he's in rough shape, man. He is not Trent Acid anymore, and, and there's some pretty fucking haunting shit. The main guy in the documentary, uh, Johnny Falco, Jake, I don't know if you know him or not, but he, he has this quote on Trent. The demons have a hold of him, and he hopes he'll let them go, or Trent will become just another statistic. And, you know, when Trent comes back, he's talking about his battle with drugs, and he's talking about how it's hurting his wrestling career, about how good he was, how good he he wants to become again, and as you'll see in a second, it just doesn't work out that way.
1: Trent is very upfront about his fuck-ups. And just those quotes that cut into you bad of just Trent saying, I turned into the person I said I would never be. And the the toughest one for me was him getting out of rock bottom a little bit, enough to be even be on camera, which I think says a lot. And then him saying, well, there has to be a reason I'm still around now. And that's just some of the most haunting, ominous shit in the world. Also watch after the credits. Jake the Snake Roberts has a scene with Trent in the locker room where he tells him a story. That Terry Funk told him, it's kind of convoluted. I don't want to get all into it, but it's such a good moment. I can't recommend the documentary enough, and especially watch the after-credits stuff. Because, I mean, Jake and Trent talking about their own demons, man, you know they know each other, and it's like, fuck, why couldn't that get through to him?
2: Yeah, that's the tough part about this particular podcast, is that, you know... When they see this pop up on the timeline, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, Trent Acid, the drug addict. Like, there's going to be a lot of people yeah. that stumbled onto indie wrestling when they saw him at his worst and not at his best. And I think that's what a lot of people are going to remember, unfortunately. And that's that's what's tough. And I think that's the whole thing that will pop up in people's heads is is that. And, you know, I, I think about something that Jimmy Jacobs said, and I totally agree with, because I, I saw a little bit of it very early In my time of wrestling in 2005, 2006, is that, you know, that romanticizing of you get a six pack and you drive down the road, brother mentality. And, you know, Jimmy would talk about him and Zach Allen would go in a locker room and be like, "Who's who's got pills? Who's got pills? Who's got pills? Who's got pills? And that idea of, oh, we're wrestlers. We get fucked up. We go to the strip club afterwards and we have a shitload of beers and we wake up the next day disheveled and then go into the next town. Like, that was the romanticized idea. And of course, if you're in. Philly and wrestling at the ECW arena, which is like hallowed ground in front of, you know, 800 people once a month, you know, you feel like a big deal. You feel like a rock star and you want the perks of being a rock star. And everybody's telling you to get the perks of being a rock star. And for the most part, most of those guys that live that rock and roll lifestyle, like you think about when guys started like dying. It was early 2000s. You know, so it was just a couple here and there, you know, when Trent was being told to live that life of a rock star, it wasn't such a scourge that it is now today in 2020 or even what it was in 2010 or 2009. I mean, he was mixed up in all of that. Like the guys that were the big rock stars were still alive, still doing it, still their lifestyles were, was romanticized. And that's what you're supposed to be is those guys are still here and they did all this. The idea of guys just dying because of that wasn't discussed as openly, and he got caught in that tidal wave, and sometimes that's the thing that you just you get drowned by it.
0: So Trent is going to work on and off from 08 to 2010 uh, around the Northeast. He even hooks back up with CZW, who is now owned by DJ Hyde. I've met DJ Hyde a couple of times. Am I out of line for saying this? Kind of a dick.
2: Nope, you're right on point. I don't think the internet's going to crucify you for saying that. Nick, just, okay. just to let you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I think Jake. the internet's going go to be okay with you saying that. If you, it, I know how worried yeah, you are all the time, Nick, of like, I don't want to say anything that's going to upset the internet. I think you saying <laughs> DJ Hyde kind of a dick. I don't think <laughs> I don't think anybody is going to have any objection to that. I I think there might be a small minority of about 3% or so, but most people might be mad that you use the word kind of. Um <laughs> so I believe that you were okay in having that opinion in professional wrestling in 2020.
0: I'm never concerned about what people are going to think. I'm concerned that a bitter wrestler is going to hear something from this podcast and pay New Jack to strangle you with a cord from a hairdryer.
2: Oh, fuck. New Jack, I love him. I love him okay, to cool. death. Just, <laughs> let's make that very fucking clear. He's he's fucking great. I, I spent an entire afternoon filming him for sketches for his stand-up special, quote-unquote, um, yeah. that I filmed, which, if you have not seen New Jack's Secret Stash, I,
1: oh, my, you did I oh, highly my
2: recommend. Highly recommend. Some jokes are very hacky, but at the same time, too, he did the time, and it was entertaining enough, and I applaud him for that. But I think the sketches in between um, were quite entertaining because he's doing with Terry, taking Terry Reynolds to a soul food place, uh, KK's in Atlanta, eating oxtail. I I think that, that speaks to everything.
1: So mass transit deserved it. Is that what I'm
2: saying? <laughs> well, if you said the N-word, I mean, I th- I think I think you can kind of say he's a dick too. Like if if that if that nugget is a fact then I think most people would say he kind of deserved it.
0: <laughs> so Trent's last match is going to be uh, in the Juggalo Federation, losing to Too tough Tony at Oddball Bonanza in a barbed wire, boards, and baseball bats match. <laughs> that yeah, that baby. sounds like it should be anyone's last match march 20th 2010 then it really starts coming unraveled on uh april 2nd 2010 trent was arrested for possession of heroin these charges combined with his previous charges really gonna put the boots to him he was sentenced to a uh, 23 months in addition court mandated rehab i think he got out While awaiting his sentencing, he had uh, another trial set for July 13th, 2010. I, I think he was in rehab during this. So when he got out, same old story from comedians to actors to wrestlers. You're off the stuff. You go back. You relapse. You do the same amount. And on the morning of June 18th, 2010, Verdi was found dead in his Philadelphia home by his mother. And it was later determined that he he died of a drug overdose. And Trent Acid was 29 years old. No way to save it. Same old story we've done on this podcast a dozen times. At some point, you got to kick the drugs. You're not 23 forever, man. Final thoughts on Trent Acid.
2: Um, I I kind of alluded to it a little bit ago that most people, when they see this podcast pop up on their timeline, they be like, Oh fucking Trent. I remember he was fucked up at a show or he fucked up a match. I was in, or are you so fucking strung out or I was supposed to wrestle him, but he fucking was off doing drugs. Like there's going to be a lot of bad stuff that probably is said about him. And a lot of people that are in wrestling now probably had a, like a bad experience because of where he was at in his life. Um, so it was to me, I think, it was good that we kind of focus a lot more on his positive notes of his career and the earlier career notes and remind people that there was a time where he was about as good as it gets when it comes independent wrestling, especially in the Northeast. And there's a lot of guys that remember him very well. You're talking about the dream sequence. Um, when me and Grizzly Redwood wrestled Ruckus and Sabian, they... They were calling over something like, and they go, they go oh, okay, well, then we're going to do the dream sequence. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking cool that you guys <laughs> continue that <laughs> on in their memory. <laughs> and that was and that was very touching to me that, you know, Ruckus still remembers. I, I think a lot of guys that knew Trent very early on remember him in those good times. And I think even in the bad times, I think there are there probably moments where he was a sweetheart to people and the people like, man, you know even though he had all this going on, he was still nice to me or he was trying his best or he was struggling. It's like when I think about my interactions with Chris Candido, who we did a very long podcast on. And when I got to high spots and I told Michael Bikikio, the owner of high spots, how much I love Chris Candido. He was like, yeah, the only thing I remember of Chris Candido is him just being fucked up and kept interrupting a shooting interview I was trying to record, you know, or other people are like, oh, I remember at any show, Chris Candido was fucked up and he did this. I remember the good times of Chris when he was sober right before he passed. And that's what's tough. We've done a lot of these stories where guys die of drug overdoses and they have these long histories of just being complete and utter messes and ruining wrestling in general. And me being a guy that's always been concerned with the show is more important than anything. Like, I've had had my struggles with alcohol. That's my addiction. But I never let it get in the way of professional wrestling. So seeing somebody have an addiction that gets in the way of wrestling it's it's very hard for me to wrap my head around but I at the same time too I can at least empathize and understand how you get to that point and you know I'm thankful it didn't get as bad as his did and it just it's sad and I'm glad that we took the time to maybe focus on some of the the better points the higher points and maybe remind people of the better times of Trent because I I worry that most people remember the bad stuff or only got the bad stuff. That No life is complete with just the bad stuff and just with the good stuff. A life is something that, that has a mixture of all of them, and you yourself have to determine, was this a good life? Did this person treat me well? Did I misunderstand him? Did he misunderstand me? And nobody's no absolute good. Nobody's no absolute evil either. There's very little absolute evil. It does exist in this world, but there's there's no absolutes it's it's very very hard to find, and Trent most certainly is one of those people that you have to reckon the good with the bad and and make your own personal decisions.
0: Trent was one of those guys you can put up there with Sick Nick Mondo, where when someone just wants to tear down hardcore wrestling to its bare bones and be like it's nothing but two guys fucking hitting each other with you know sandwich containers and light bulbs and whatever they can get their hands on. <laughs> Like people like Trent and and Mondo put them anywhere put them in any federation in the world you're going to get a good match out of it Trent was very good he was innovative he was exciting he could do it all like top to bottom and just man just another guy that got consumed but you know he, he doesn't have to be just another drug filled wrestling tragedy he can be an example of, of what not to do because you get both sides of Trent you get motivated in shape hard-working trend acid and you get to see the heights you can reach if you if it would just be those things and, and stay focused and then you also get the bottomed out you're gonna die of in your fucking bedroom the horrible story and you get to see what happens if you start going down that path you have to get help because they're eventually going to get you and for what you know, like fucking smoke weed if you want to get high. <laughs> it's it's just it's 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 crazy. I I don't I don't know, but man, Trent was an exciting exciting guy to watch. Brave as shit, did not give a fuck. Was there to give the fans a show. Kind of peaked at the worst time to peak for an indie wrestler, uh, as far as like you know, jumping to that next level. But man, I don't I don't know too much about how he was as as a person. Uh, you know, but his wrestling his his career is not something to just gloss over like check out some trent acid especially if you're if you love hardcore stuff he he is one of the best to ever do it
1: when i'm doing research for this i'm trying to watch as many matches as i can try to find little details i watch the entrance for trent acid i think every fucking time he has one of the best entrances if i say ever that sounds crazy but just like in in His time frame of all that, of knowing how to create something captivating with the Midnight Express music, his attitude coming out, man, and then the girls sticking the money down his pants and making out with hot chicks at the guardrail. I mean, and he would go all the way around. It was his full experience, man. I mean, it had so much to it. And I watched his entrance every time. It was so cool to start watching him in like 99 when you could see him doing these innovative spots, but they were really rough. And you could tell he was green. But then I would watch matches, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002, and you would see his body change. And he looked like a fucking Playgirl model. But then you could see the fluidity and the intensity in the spots he did before. But they were crisp. They were believable. It was, it was legit fucking inspiring and motivating to see, like, hey, you improve your body, you can change your life, and you can look better, you can make your art form better. And it was so cool to see Trent really improve before my eyes. I, I, I You see it when I'm doing research for this, but for some reason, with Trent, it really fucking hit me, man. He just, like, God, he was fucking good in the ring. He was believable. Like Nick said, he had no fear. There's so many of these high spots that I just feared for him, and I never, I never saw hesitation. That dude would get up there, and he would just fucking do it, and it looked like he died, and he maybe he had some knee injuries here and there, but God bless him. That dude would go all out, and I mean, I guess it's a testament to him, man. He did all those big spots with those big people because they trusted him, because he could do the dangerous shit and make it work, and nobody actually get hurt, 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 get hurt, but not get injured. And it just blew me away how good he evolved. He did so much cool stuff. Just like I talk about how he made every moment matter. He made everything interesting. He made it captivating to watch him because he would play in that ring, man. He was confident. He knew what he was doing in there. We brought up Candido, so I want to put over another match. Uh, There is three matches of Candido and Acid. I admittedly haven't watched these yet, but it's over an hour. 2003, 2004, 2005 match. And I can't wait to check those out. So please, you do too. Underrated as shit. He needs to be brought up all the time in underrated wrestlers. Because he could do it all. He had it all. He really, that charisma, man. He had that charisma you cannot teach. He was natural. I really do think if he wouldn't have fucked up, which is so hard to say. But I mean, it's reality. He had so much talent. He could have had a big WrestleMania moment, as crazy as it seems. He had the charisma. He had the work ethic. He knew how to connect with a crowd and get either heat or tons of pop. It was just so fun to see him do what he loved. And this is the highest compliment I can give Trent Acid of how underrated and how much I love this motherfucker now. If wrestling ever gets brought up and I'm drunk and we're at a party, I will be so annoying and rant to you for five minutes about how you got to check out Trent Acid. Because Trent Acid is the fucking shit. That's it. If I get excited and I ramble to you and it gets overwhelming, you know I love a dude. And that's how much I love Trent Acid, man
0: all right that is trent acids timbell pod thank you guys for listening hopefully this gives you some kind of break from everything that's going on i know i've been distracted a little bit check out our patreon patreon.com slash timbell pod or you know what donate to something that supports black lives matter uh we'll be okay for a couple months if you want to send some money their way Hop on uh, TimBellPod.com and uh, you'll find all our social media, both TimBellPod, personally. You can listen to the episodes there. We, one time, we we're going to do a blog. I think we did one, so that's, you can find that there. <laughs> Blogs. Shit, you guys got anything uh, before we get out of here? I will end on a on a hearty Black Lives Matter.
1: Um, I will say my favorite movie of 2019, Just Mercy. That movie affected me in a way that I've never been affected, and that's saying something because I've seen way too many movies in my life, but Just Mercy, uh, Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan, it's free streaming on all the digital platforms. It exposes so much bullshit and soapbox, etc., but please watch it as my favorite movie of 2019.
2: To go along with, Mike, uh, as well as using movies and art to... Changed people's minds. I posted a very long Facebook and Instagram about this, um and, and you know people might criticize. Well, why did you do this right away? I was like, well, you know, everybody was doing hashtags and black screens and copy and paste press releases on where they fucking stand and everything, and I and I just felt like it was very, I don't know, maybe because I'm cynical, I felt it was hollow. So I wanted to take some time to collect my thoughts and say something very accurately and tell the story about why I feel the way I feel and how I become to formed those thoughts, because I'm more interested in saying something uh, that changes people's minds, as opposed to just crying out for a simple solution in a com- complex situation. And I shared a story of me as a child watching the American Playhouse story of Grevers, for us, the living. It's available to rent on vidu or voodoo um right now i highly recommend that you you watch it especially if you have a young child because that's what i watch as a young child and there is uh the scene where medgar comes home and is medgar evers is murdered in front of his house while his children wait inside for him to come home affected me greatly because as a child that was my life was waiting for my father to come home so i could play with him so seeing my worst fear play out on screen affected me greatly. The so much in fact that I ran to my mother and asked them why did they shoot that man on TV, and she just simply wholeheartedly said because he's black, and that was the correct answer to my story. But that is still something I I cannot accept even to this day. And that piece of art has affected informed my opinions going forth into life and some of you may be like okay well I'll just have my child watch Ghosts of Mississippi no that would be fucking incorrect <laughs> once you if you really want to teach your kids something have them watch the first 15 minutes of Ghosts of Mississippi and then shut the movie off Yeah, because that's the life the everyday struggle that most black people have had to deal with so and i think we all need to think about ways that we can change people's minds people who are on the fence um because i think there's far more of those people there than there should be so we need to we need to get people over here and not just bombard them with slogans i think we need to have actual real dialogue and make actual fucking change and there are minor things that are going on right now um there are so there's actually tomorrow as we record this. Hopefully, the vote's already gone in our favor. But there is a motion in the Charlotte City Council to defund chemical agents for crowd dispersions. I I, I may not agree with a hundred percent defunding of the police department because I have multiple reasons and conspiracy theories on how that could go bad. But I feel like a defunding of, of chemical agents in in Charlotte particularly is a good thing to be pushing for also to the in that motion will be a review board, but seeing the video of what happened to a group of protesters where they were trapped between two parking garages uh, communicates to me that the people that had access to those chemical agents did not exercise them with enough responsibility. So that needs to be taken out of the equation. And I think the, the responsibility for that lies with citizens as well as Civil servants, especially civil servants. And I know being a civil servant and a police officer is tough, but you're supposed to be in the responsibility position. And unfortunately, you will be held to a higher regard. And um, that's that's tough, but. I don't know. Those are, those are the things that are knocking on my head, and it probably took me a little longer to get to some of those decisions, but I think it's important to have a, an exact idea of what we want changed, so that we should have an exact, clear uh, distinction on what we want done and what, what is the problem, and we should get past a lot of just the broad talk and get a little bit more narrow and change things specifically.
1: Yeah, well, Jake just inspired the shit out of me, so I'll say a little bit more about Just Mercy and just this justice system is broke from every angle every cardinal direction contribute to the innocent project and the equal justice initiative that's what uh just mercy gets into it's it's just the shit that's going on now is fucked but the every cardinal direction before after all through the justice system shit is fucking broke and fucked and please contribute help out this fucking country
0: and i'll say too don't let the media fucking push their narratives on you I've been to more than one peaceful protest during this. You know, I'll I'll thank a cop for not beating the shit out of a protester without mercy the same way I'll thank a short order cook for not putting his dick in my sandwich. But the Burbank PD was showed restraint, showed organization, so it can be done. And they have spent the last 20 years doing reform, doing better training, and it, that shit can be done. That's That's why we're out here marching and... Then, if you want to focus on the rioters, you're focusing on the wrong goddamn thing.
1: All right, and then uh, I pulled this up in the middle of this. Let's go out to Trent Acid's theme song. Let's go out to the Midnight Express song. Eh? <laughs> yeah, put those dollars in my pants, baby. Yeah, put them down in there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Quickly, what are your thoughts on Sony sex tape? Huh, 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 huh. <laughs>
1: Hey, this is Micah for 10 Bell Pod, and if you want to make all my lonely hours in my teenage years of sitting in my room watching tapes somehow mean something later in my life, uh, if you could donate to Patreon, it would mean a lot to me and 15-year-old me who dreamed of getting laid. Thank you.